Welcome to New in Nashville. This is your host, Elam Freeman. I'm a commercial real estate broker and yoga instructor based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a Nashville native who has spent time living in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. I have also traveled to all 50 states and visited nearly every U.S. metropolitan city bigger than Nashville. I am crazy about Nashville's growth and want natives, newcomers, and tourists to have the knowledge they need to keep up with our city's pace. In this month's episode, we talk with Manuel Zeitlin, founder of Manuel Zeitlin Architects, also known as MZA and Zeitgeist Art Gallery. A Nashville native, Manuel received a Bachelor of Arts in Architecture from Washington University in St. Louis and a Bachelor of Architecture from Boston Architectural Center. He established MZA after moving back to Nashville in 1981. For the past 20 years, MZA has shared its space with Zeitgeist Art Gallery, which Manuel also founded. The partnership allows MZA to support the Nashville art scene while challenging and inspiring both MZA employees and clients. I have experienced firsthand the positive impact that Manuel and his team have made on the broader community. Manuel's spirit and passion for his work, clients, and art is contagious. Manuel and I share a passion for education, collaboration, and creating long-standing strategic relationships with professionals who have a shared vision and complement our services. Another passion that Manuel and I share is a love for the Nashville neighborhood Wedgwood-Houston, where Manuel works and I live. MZA's website describes Wedgwood-Houston as an auspicious area of the city that is home to a diverse collection of artist studios, businesses, schools, churches, and residences that is one of several inner-city neighborhoods that has quickly morphed from the fringe to mainstream. I'm fortunate to share several clients with Manuel. Currently, we are working on the Moxie and Hillsborough Village, WeHo Crossing, and the Voorhees Assemblage with more exciting projects in the pipeline. Manuel has also designed Sump Coffee, the Fairlane Hotel, and Never Never, which are all places that I frequently find myself visiting, working from, and recommending to others. To follow Manuel's whereabouts, follow him on Instagram at Manuel Zeitlin. MZA and Zeitgeist also can be found on Instagram at Manuel Zeitlin Architects and at Zeitgeist Gallery. So today we are here with Manuel Zeitlin, um, and I'm excited to have a conversation with him about um, his time, his many years in Nashville and um, all that he's accomplished here. And um, without further ado, welcome, Manuel. Thanks, Elam. <laughs> you know I'm well, your biggest fan, right? <laughs> Manuel is, a, uh, is always uh, an advocate, which I'm very thankful for um, because he has holds a lot of clout in the city and, and beyond. So what part of Nashville did you grow up in, and did you live anywhere else outside of Nashville other than St. Louis and Boston? Okay, so I, I um, grew up at a dead-end street in Bellmead, and it was a street that was, was called Lilywood, and the, the developer of the street named it after his aunt, who was a Holocaust survivor, I think, or maybe victim of the Holocaust, actually. And it was unique because it was an all Jew, it was, there were all Jewish families on the street in Bellmead when I was growing up. and. And uh, so when I got to architecture school at Washington University in St. Louis, I quickly realized I'd been kind of raised in this overprotected, suburban, almost leave it to beaver-like environment. And, and uh, 
So going to college was like a real awakening for me of, you know, and, and WashU was a perfect place and I had great teachers, you know, that would get me, you know, out of my shell. I remember my favorite teacher said, you're like a turtle, you know, you stick your neck out, look around and see if everything's okay and then go back <laughs> in your shell. So, you know, and, and, and uh, so going to school there, I got exposed to modern dance and theater and things that, you know, I just, you just didn't have exposure to in Nashville. I mean, basically, you know, you went to, you had sort of cafeteria choices for restaurants mm-hmm. or Shoney's, yeah. you know, back then here. Um, no, but I mainly just lived in like St. Louis after college mm-hmm. for a year and worked there. And then I lived in Boston after, or during college and after college uh-huh. there and worked there. So um, did a lot of historic preservation and renovations of adaptive reuse of old historic structures cool. there, you know. So I, was, got, I got my feet wet in those cities. I yeah. Guess. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's always good to see other markets and and uh, think and about I remember, how I remember, I remember going to like Quincy Market, mm-hmm. you know, Fanon Hall. When I first visited Boston, there's an old restaurant called Dorgan Park, mm-hmm. and it's famous for its roast beef. And but we went there and had dinner, and it was the only thing operational in the entire those three warehouse, those three big hall buildings, markets. They were all empty, full of rats and decaying water, you know, wood from all the water and. Yeah. Yeah, but that one re- one restaurant had been operational since the maybe 17 or 1800s. Yeah, wow. So it was really cool. That is cool. Um, did you think that when you went off to WashU or to Boston, did you think you would come back to Nashville? I never thought I'd come back to Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> I had, you know, growing up, it was sad. I had a lot of friends that were killed in car wrecks. Just, you know, I think that time in the probably, when was it, early 70s, mm-hmm. you know, with drinking and drugs. And, yeah. and so I did, like my mom, I remember saying that, and my dad saying that I'd lost... At that age, I already lost more friends than they had lost in their entire lives. Yeah. And, and uh, so it was hard because I'd go around and kind of see ghosts and, mm-hmm. you know, come up that corner and think of somebody or this is where my friend Hank died or, you know, and it was right. really, that was really emotionally hard and, which is kind of that whole small town, you know, right. characteristic. I mean, it sounds almost like out of a movie you go see, you know, yeah. somewhere in Indiana and Hoosiers or something. But, um, you know, and then I was in Boston working, um, I was an associate in a firm there and went to see a movie and I got homesick and caught a plane and stayed three weeks, had a great time here. I was like, wow, Nashville in the 1980s is actually pretty exciting. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> you got out of your shell and realized there was more to it than Lily, Lily Land? Lily Lilywood. Lilywood. <laughs> and then I, and when I came back, I got a job. I was, I, because I was homesick, I, I still had to finish my thesis, so I came back to Nashville while I was finishing my thesis and I'd go to this Mexican restaurant for lunch and you know how much I like ethnic restaurants yeah interesting restaurants and so I'd go there for lunch every day and finally I said hey can I get a job as a waiter and so they hired me as a waiter while I was finishing my thesis mm-hmm. but like when you graduate architecture school you're socially retarded often and so you know you go to a party and you're trying to meet somebody and you're going that's an interesting detail well, look <laughs> at the, what do you think about the space you know it's like that gets you really far you know <laughs> So, so waiting tables was like I got I learned how to talk to people, right. how to hang out. But that's like you know, so I get resumes all the time from like college students wanting to do some summer internships, and I'm going, go work t- wait tables, do retail, go on an archaeological dig, get a construction work job. Don't yeah. work in an architect's office. You know, there's plenty of time for that. You, but, you know, you got to become an interesting person first. Right <laughs> there, you go. Um, what? ultimately caused you to take the leap from working in a firm to starting your own business? You know, when I moved back here, um, and again, I was lucky to be an associate in, in a firm in Boston. I think I was maybe his third employee and 
the architect that was running this project, it sort of collapsed under, you know, you know the contractor was screaming at the owner and the architects and that architect quit. And, uh, and I was the only one working on the project. So I took it and basically turned everything around really quickly. And, and it's Union Wharf. It's one of the wharf buildings uh-huh. on the waterfront. And um, so I came back to Nashville and my dad's going, you ought to work at, you know, Gresham Smith or Swenson or somebody like that. And I'm going, no, nah, I think I want to start my own firm. Yeah. Well, you really ought to work for someone to get experience. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, all the architects I admire probably all made lots of mistakes and learned by their mis- from their mistakes. And so I just kind of took that on as a challenge. And, yeah. you know, even back then, my, you know, mom, mom has a real estate company and offered to help, you know, refer me to clients. I was like, no, I really want to do this on my own. And, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years later, after two recessions, I told her it was okay to maybe refer us to a couple <laughs> people. But, but, but it was really important, just that idea of starting from scratch and, and you met Janice the other night. I mean, yeah. I remember somebody would ask her, like, or ask me, you know, if you, you know, client, have you done a house, designed a house? And she'd go, oh, yeah, he's done a kitchen and a bath and a closet, master bedroom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's funny yeah. to think back now, but, yeah. but uh, you know, that just that idea of starting out, there's something, yeah. there's something so special about that time in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of unknowns, but it's also a lot of exciting yeah. potential. <laughs> Um, what do you think are the characteristics that drove you towards entrepreneurship versus um, being in a more corporate setting? You know, it may, may have to do with, like, you know, growing up a family where my father worked for himself and my mother worked for herself, started her own company. So I think I was always around that and just yeah. didn't think about another way to do it. Really. Right. And, I, and also, again, just a little time we've known each other, I'm sure you can tell I like to kind of get out of the box as far as I can and push and push limits. Like I just, with my, you know, hair on my neck like a cat, I guess, goes up when like somebody threatens me with limits. Right. You know, so, so just the idea of working for somebody else just, just never saw, I mean, after I, my experiences and I had a great job in, in um, St. Louis and in a similar, you know, level of responsibility. So after doing that, I felt like I can get out there and if I make mistakes, it's okay. I'll learn and right. grow. And But I think that's sort of, and my kids, I see her, I think also sort of that, I mean, I don't know if you call it off the wall entrepreneurial is what, what we do, <laughs> you know, but it's like, it's not like good to great, you know, kind of entrepreneurial. Right. It's more instinctive, intuitive, mm-hmm. you know, things we really are passionate about. Yeah. Um, and that's always sort of, I mean, that's sort of what drives our entrepreneurial spirit, especially these days. It's like, you know, I know my son and daughter are both like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be the right way, ethical mm-hmm. ways to do things. You know, and as a vegan, Nate's yeah. um, extremely conscious about what he gets involved in and making sure they're doing, you know, they're, you know, we have to say, we all have to work to save the world. And so right. I think, I think entrepreneurs, you know, are a group of people that can really help do that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I think one thing that I've seen about with you and your whole family is just, it's truly the work-life integration yeah. mindset and it's really awesome and it's just it's contagious to see some and it's so like obvious to see people that love what they do so much every you know and it's not uh there's really no separation which is um personally something that I really identify with cool so yeah um, I mean since you bring that up I mean that's that's sort of the nature of our firm we just you know our firm um we've been like kind of going through our sort of strategic planning and identity building and, and, um, and one of the, you know, defining the culture of the firm, and that's a big part of it. That's like one of our key things of, I think what makes us unique is the whole work-life balance. Cause for years I would like, 
you know, 9.30 in the morning, I might go play basketball, right. you know, or like now that I've retired from basketball, you know, like, like this morning I got a massage at 10.15. Right. You know, <laughs> and uh, but I was meeting somebody about affordable housing at 8.15. Right, you know? and, right. You know, Mark is always taking, our office is always taking off to do things at his kids' schools, mm-hmm. or Melinda comes in at 9 and works till 7 or so. Yeah. So it's like everybody in the firm has their own life and, mm-hmm. and, and totally integrates it with yeah. work. And there's... And, and then having the art, the art galleries like ICE is part of all this. It's just, you know, and, and Janice at the Elephant Sanctuary, it's like, you know, we're always talking about what we're doing, always kind of, um, you know, just building up, feeding each other, really. You know? Yeah. But, but I'll, I think it's really important, and I've really committed, like, with employees to that idea of creating that situation where they're lot, they can live in that kind of a work environment. And mm-hmm. the surprising thing is how few architects actually can handle that type of freedom. Right, you right, know? yeah. A lot of people want to be told what, they want their hours, they want to be told what to do, and and uh, so I think I've surrounded myself not with little mini-me's, but with people that, you know, sort of are also sort of entrepreneurial, off-the-wall entrepreneurs. That's yeah. I like that term, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah. But they're all kind of, I used to call us the bad news bears, but nobody knows what that is probably anymore, but, you know, that we all, none of us probably fit in other firms, mm-hmm. although right. lots of us have worked for major from Smart Work for Cohn Pedersen in New York, and you know different people have worked for, you know, pretty pretty impressive firms. But today we've all chosen to be in this kind of weird environment. Yeah, love it. You know, create you've a lot yeah. of created a place where everybody can kind of create their own mold, which is yeah. which is awesome. Do you have certain practices or habits that you've adopted to keep you accountable to your clients and to help you run a more effective business? Well, that's a serious business question. <laughs> I think, you know, I think, you know, being, um, being like, you know, completely available, totally available anytime someone call me or text me. Well, I hate it when they text me at two in the morning, but they can call me, you know, if they really need something then. (laughs) But, uh, but there were, and everybody like, I'm like, if somebody emails me, I'm sure anytime you've emailed me, I've responded within seconds probably or texted me. And, uh, and that's true with hopefully everybody in the office, that idea of that we're, really in communication with people. Mm-hmm. I think that communication is so important. Yeah. Um, I was, we're doing a really cool project um, in Wedger, Houston, collaborating with EOA mm-hmm. Architects on a project. And and uh, we were in the meeting yesterday, and I was like, um, you, know, we're, you know, about the project. So we've got this, we're working on this um, kind of walking, discoverable alley where uh-huh. we, instead of just being in the back of businesses, that we actually have cool little restaurants and bars and, and I'm meeting with somebody, I think I told you about her a while ago, um, who wants to do a, a um, bourbon books, bourbon bar and, and poetry bookshop. Uh-huh. So we're meeting like next week to talk about it. And, yeah. and I was like, you know, I was telling my clients, like you get that person in there and then you get somebody else that's kind of cool in there and pretty soon it's gone. Right. You've got everybody wants to be in these yeah. back alley spaces, which you never would have thought would be somewhere that people would want to rent a few years ago. I right. did. I've always thought that. But... but uh, but the point where I'm going is that then somebody else in the in the room goes like, so you probably you, you do all kinds of services. You probably, you're you're being a realtor too. I mean, I'm not a realtor, but it's like you want your clients to be successful, yeah. and you kind of just sort of. Th- and again, everybody in the office, I think, sort of steps into our clients' shoes and thinks mm-hmm. how they think. So I think that's pretty unique, probably. I mean, a lot of architects are good at peep certain people in the firm might be good at that, but in our case, I think everybody just treats the projects like their own projects and how can we bring something to the table? How can we, you know, a, a, for another project, a, uh, 
general contractor emailed me a couple days ago and saw, saw something in the post and was like, hey, can we get involved in this project? And I was like, if you can bring that 200,000 square foot office tenant, I'd say you have a pretty good chance to get the job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I showed that to my client. They loved it. You know, they were yeah. like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like you are making yourself, like you said, put yourself in your client's shoes, but like really investing your time and energy and more than just what you're exactly hired to do. Yeah, and I that mean, goes such a long way and people always see that. I mean, I've always thought that there are a lot easier ways to earn a living than being an architect. <laughs> right. You know, and I think my kids both chose something else because they saw how hard it was and you go through ups and downs over the years and and um, I wouldn't have done anything else and I chose it because I thought it would keep me excited and interested all these years and I think it has, you know, and something I could always grow in. Mm-hmm. I felt other fields I'd get bored or not grow and, and um but yeah, like you can tell it, you can't fake it. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, one thing I was reading through, and maybe this is what you guys have been doing over the last few months, you were talking about kind of really defining your values and ethos as a company, but I was reading on your website of that you guys are always re- re-educating yourself. And um, and I just think that's so important. And that's another thing is whatever company it is, but I'm sure in the architecture world it happens too, is people just kind of get in the rut of doing the same old thing and they're not uh, really adapting the service to the cl- individual client's needs. And I, I feel like everything that you've been saying shows that that's something that you guys really value. Yeah, it's so important. We're working right now. We're designing a, a living building. It's like the lead. Uh-huh. It's sort of Kim Shen, who's a really talented engineer here that's very proponent, huge proponent of sustainability mm-hmm. nationally, is working on this with us. And you know, he describes the living building as lead on steroids. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, basically you're not bringing any utilities from off-site. So you're generating your own energy, you're capturing your own water, you're treating your own waste on-site, you're growing food for the community, cool. you're doing sort of positive cultural things as part of the activities of the occupants of the building. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, so here's a whole other thing to learn and to get, you know, that we're, we're reading up on and studying and taking court, you know, that we're all learning, and m- multiple ones of us in the office are doing that. So, yeah. And then we'll share it with everybody. So yeah. that's... That's really exciting. I remember one time, I don't know if we've talked about that I don't fly. Have we ever talked about that? Maybe, maybe you've <laughs> mentioned point. it before, but yeah, now you're jogging my memory. So I quit flying like, you know, before Anna was born, I think. Uh-huh. And I think Finland was my last. Janice and I went on an architecture tour. Uh-huh. An architecture salmon and potato tour of Finland because <laughs> it's all I had to eat. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, it was awesome, but I quit flying after that. And so my mom one time was going like, so how do you keep coming up with so many creative ideas if you don't go, you know, well, one, I can travel, you know, as you know, because yeah. Elam's my source when I'm going anywhere, like, where do I, go? What do I need to go see? <laughs> uh, but, you know, can also look at things. And then it was architecture magazines. Now it's like on your phone. You yeah. Know, it's like the world's there. <laughs> right. So, But I think you got you got to do that because, yep. and even within our office, there are a couple of people I'm going like, look at what's out there. Don't mm-hmm. just do it because architects are trained to kind of, come up with things in their head and it, like if it's not valid if it's not totally original okay yeah you know, yeah I can see that but I've always been amazed how like you'll design something you think is totally original and you'll open a magazine and there it is you right. know, somebody else is doing the same so it's really the zeitgeist the spirit of the times the yeah. stall of what's going on mm-hmm. you know yeah that's neat I want to bring up something since we you what I'll ask you a question or okay what's something. that well just one of the things that, that we've talked about that I, I love is um, and I was thinking about it on the way over here just this idea of equitable development mm-hmm. you know that Elam and I I think have talked some 
and and I, I think it's probably like one of the most important conversations that's happened or is happening in the city mm-hmm. is is that developers don't have to make every single dime out of every single square inch of property. Right. Right. And yeah, it's yeah, it's not just about okay, well, what's market? Because is market leading to success for whether it's a residential tenant, whether it's a commercial tenant, an office, like can their business model equate to the rent that they're paying? And and it's, I think so often people are just like, well, we just need to capture market. And it's what what is dictating that? And at some point, if that's the, always the mentality, then are we just going to... I mean, we're going to hit a wall and then everything's going to fall apart. So yeah, because you've talked about, like, you're, you've asked you know, client, our clients, like, do you really have to have national retail tenants? Right. Can you have some local tenants in there? Because, you know, what happens is that makes it a lot more interesting. And can you underwrite their rent a little bit so they can afford it? You know, you don't, you know, a startup bourbon and bar, you know, bourbon, yeah. bookstore, bourbon bar and bookstore can't afford $35, $40 a square foot. Right. So in this case, the developers will probably underwrite her rent to make it affordable but as a result, they'll, their long-term value will be worth way more than if those spaces were sitting empty or, or excuse your dad, but a law office was right. in, that, <laughs> right. in that office, you know, you know in that alley. Yeah. You know, that, the idea that you craft what you want to have in the project mm-hmm. and, and, and you don't have to, like, make the rents on everything because you're going to – those rent those low rents, for some people, are going to drive higher rents. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that's true. You know, we talk a lot about – affordable housing, but I think it's got to be affordable retail and affordable office, and how do you sort of bring those components into different projects, and a lot of ones we're working on together have that mix, and they're going to get really high rents on part of their projects, yeah. but they're also going to offer have some offerings to make the projects really more interesting yeah. and more, long, I think, viable long-term and, and, and just and feel local. Right. You know, the, the, you know, we were hearing all this conversation in the mayor's race about losing the, what's Nashville and all, you know, but I think... You know, it really gets down to just not being greedy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And, and realizing that you can grow value by having that kind of that sort of approach to things. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. And I mean, I feel fortunate that I think you know in Wedgwood, Houston, which is a neighborhood that we both love, that there are developers coming in that have this long-term mentality and they are looking at more than just the numbers and it's they realize that it's a qualitative and a quantitative decision and sometimes you make a qualitative decision and realize that that is going to pay you dividends down the way but it's not immediate and um that's one thing that i think the opportunity zones have while we've talked about there, there's pros and cons to them, and there's some arguments that the opportunity zones, like I think you said, can are going to get rid of all the opportunity. But I will say that the fact that these developers are required to hold their properties for 10 years is changing the mindset a little bit yeah. um, versus the idea that they're going to come in if if they came in without opportunity zone funds and they could, you know, flip out of them any time. And so they're going to be less willing to really make an investment in the community. So um, I guess that's one benefit of them. Yeah, I'm just worried, like, you know, what's his name in the White House? He'll figure out this is actually good for people and then they'll try to kill the program. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that could be the case. So hopefully not. <laughs> Um, but you're touching on something. This idea of long-term investment in community is yeah. huge because, 
you know, um, I mean, some of our clients, you know, have been doing work here for a long time, and they're they're interested in a in a decent return, but not the best return possible. Right. And that's what's the pro- that's the biggest problem because you hear a lot of developers going, oh, "I can't afford to do that," or "I can't have this kind of tenant," or "We need this to get our returns for our corporate investors." And, right. But the reality is, if you're here for the long term, you want people to live in a neighborhood, that, people that have lived in a neighborhood to be able to stay there. Right. You want to be growing that community around you, not kicking it out. Yeah. You know, or running it out. And, and uh, it, you know, and you want, if, if you have a community or new development that's really got people that live around there working there, supporting it as compared to attacking it. Right. You know, exactly. I think, I think, I think that's all really exciting. I mean, I think we're like sort of these new edges of things that are changing the way the paradigms and the way things are done. And, you know, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah. That I'll, you know, having been a long-term resident, having lived other places, I love all the changes that are happening mm-hmm. personally. I mean, I yeah. think we've, we've got to solve education. We've got to solve transportation. We have to keep things equitable. But other than that, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, to have like more restaurants than I can even begin to start going to, right? you know, Whoever thought that would be possible, or to be able to like, I can't go to all the cultural like I can go to Oz this night or the, here, you know, here that night, but I can't do everything or you know, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. It really is. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, I think I have a similar sentiment of I went away for college and didn't think I would come back, and I was like, there's nothing that's going to draw me back yeah. to Nashville, and then it was just kind of on the cusp of when everything started to change and. You're, you have all these new options and you also have all these new people coming to Nashville, which I think is great because they are, you know, pushing the boundaries and they're causing people to think about things from different angles. Um, and while, you know, hopefully they also are taking time to invest in the community and, and get to know, um, you know, if from the development side, get to know the community or even if they're um, coming from outside, they're not just trying to take advantage of the opportunity here, but they're really trying to create one yeah, opportunity. Yeah. So, but I think it's, that's been huge for me and it's amazing how many times that I'm in a room and I'm the only person that was born here. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. But, but I love it. How, how did you, I mean, how do you, how did you develop such a broad worldly sense of things? It's always amazed me that it belies your age, that, that you just seem incredibly knowledgeable about everything that's going on in the country in terms of your field and, and have such a good instinct of what's exciting and, the, and a great way to do things. And where did that come yeah, from? Is, did I, you just grow up that way or is that? Yeah, I think it's a, you know, general curiosity. I mean, I identify a lot with that grew up in a very sheltered environment, yet I will say, like, it was a priority for my dad that we, before we graduated high school, my brother and I had been to all 50 states. And so we always traveled, um, which we didn't travel internationally, so that was kind of, I got to do some of that in college, um, which was, was fun, but, you know, just really exploring was always kind of a part of Uh um, what I grew up doing and I really took a liking to it and usually we would spend like half of our trips in national parks and then half um, in a city and so we kind of would pair those things together and then that I never knew that you could like turn that into a career. So <laughs> even through college, I went to the school in the uh-huh. LA area and every weekend, like people always ask me how I got into real estate. I was like, well, I found out I was made aware after I graduated college that I, what I did for my hobby, I could monetize. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, when I found that, that out, I was like, yeah. sign me up. 
Um, but, you know, in L.A., it's just, like, amazing because every weekend you can explore a new neighborhood. Uh-huh. And it's just there's constantly new things to learn about and explore. So, yeah, I guess it's just more like a general curiosity and loving learning about different cultures and um, seeing different concepts and how it all intersects together and people and places and design and um, how that all intersects with culture. Yeah, it's interesting how we both came out of sort of pretty sheltered, you know, homes, which gave us a safe place to be, I think was really special, you know, looking at what kids have to deal with now is heartbreaking, you know, and... uh, but somehow then learning to be like open and not judgmental, you know, not yeah. lock onto ideas and stay fresh and those kind of things. And, and, you know, like when you show us examples of things, you're not saying do this, you're saying, where can we go from here? Or this, right. is, this is one way, or here's three ways that people have done this, you know, because you see some developers and real estate agent, agent, real estate agents just sort of thinking about formulas and right. they don't think that way at all. Yeah. It's more just, yeah, I guess it gets back to the thing I was saying about my mom that I don't travel, you know, I don't fly. So it's yeah. like, well, I'm trying to make Nashville exciting. You know, right. 20 years ago, I was like, I want to make things happen here that I don't have to go away. You don't have to fly to France. Right. You know, I want to do them down the street. And, exactly. You know, it's it's exciting to feel like you can. And that's what I love about all these urban core, working in all these urban core neighborhoods that I eat, live and breathe, you know, personally. And you can, like, contribute to how they're shaped yeah. and you know there it's not like you can be at, at the forefront of every single one but i that's kind of why what i've seen can happen in wedgwood houston is you know there's so much opportunity to really like bring developers together and you know challenge people uh-huh. i yeah. think to think yeah. um to to talk to um you know people that initially they may see as their competitors or people that may be holding back their calls and be like, actually, if you just draw, I think uh, I heard this from Libby Calloway and now I just always think about it and realize that it's a lot of the way that I think, but thinking of Venn diagrams Um, and like there's, you know, this person has these priorities and another person has these priorities and initially they a lot of times think they're not going to... Really, they overlap. Yeah, exactly. They think they're totally different, but... Almost always I find that most people have some sort of common ground or some sort of alignment on something. Um, so, I don't know. Um, what, kind of speaking of this, just, and this is a broad question, but I was thinking earlier um, about like ULI and some of these places, either national organizations or locally, um, interest groups, have you found to be most beneficial in what you do or finding community of people that kind of have a similar mentality of how they approach problems? I think the urban, the, well, the Civic Design Center here mm-hmm. is one of the key groups, yeah. you know, that, that takes on, like, solving specific urban design challenges. Um, Kim Hawkins is, just became the president of ULI, and Mark yeah. Deutschman just is going out of president, as president. Jimmy Granberry was right before them. And I think, so you've got some leadership there, that is working very hard to like build bridges between people in the city to talk to educate them about what's going on here, then to help lead those ch- you know the change mm-hmm. of making Nashville more urban, right? <laughs> more urban place, more equitable place. So that mm-hmm. I think that's pretty exciting. I think you know it's not organizational, but you know you think about the mayors we've had, like the last five mayors probably we've had great mayors mm-hmm. that when other cities have been struggling, I think because of what they each did over time. You know, they made this kind of growth and this kind of 
side of possible. Right. Um, others, you know, focus, some of some focus on equity and not leaving out certain groups more than others. Mm-hmm. But I think overall that they've been really, really good. And they've been very supportive of some of these organizations and actually helped start some of them. Yeah. Um, but I've always, you know, back to that thing where, you know, I kind of challenge the rules, you know, I've right. never really been an organizational person. So yeah. I finally joined AIA a few years ago because I felt like it was important to support. And, uh-huh. and that local AI state convention is actually bringing great design speakers. So I, mm-hmm. I actually can't believe I go every year now to <laughs> a convention of architects, but they're, one, they're awesome, you know. Yeah. And, and, and um, I've gotten involved in, you know, I even go to the, what is it, NAOP? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it sort of just pushed myself out of my comfort zone. Right. I was like, Okay, go with a bunch of people in sport coats and yeah. guys, you know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, like yesterday at this design meeting, I had on shorts and sandals, you know, yeah. they were like, okay, and, you know, but it's like, so that's, so organizations I've always kind of been wary of, but but uh, collaborations, I think, you know, I was listening to, to, to um, Kaylee Barbas, mm-hmm. you know, talk in, on her podcast about the Life Templeton and mm-hmm. how helpful you know, her competitors have been, like yeah. other schools have been. And right. here's a, and she, I, I didn't realize that that was exciting that she's starting the first high school downtown. Or yeah. Downtown since being fog. You I know. know. It's amazing. It's crazy. And, um, but I think, you know, I, you know, people a lot of times ask me, what's, what do you think is so special about Nashville or, you know, the Ed City? And I think ultimately it's collaboration that, yeah. you know, there's not any field that I can think of where um, somebody's in that field is not saying, giving you ideas of, you know, who can help you do something or how you could approach something or, you know, secret ways to get around or where to eat or, you know, and, and, you know, she was talking about like other school heads helping her and, you know, I get together with other architects and work together a lot with other architects, but instead of us hiding what we're doing, we're sharing what we're doing. And I'm sure in your career, I mean, you're, you're a unique, you have a unique position in your firm. Mm -hmm. You're the only one doing what you do. So you, you sort of put yourself in a place where you have to collaborate with other Exactly. I so mean, I, I think that's a wonderful part of Nashville mm-hmm. right now. If you're a songwriter or an artist or a doctor, yeah. you know, I mean, everybody's. It's still a very collaborative city compared to other. I think compared to other cities that, you know, like somebody walks in our art gallery and they'll, I go, where are you from? So, you know, I'm from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Wow, I had this great meal there, and, and you, you, if do you know about this in Nashville? Do you know about like the, you know, the the, there's the great. Um, Egyptian church, the first Presbyterian church downtown, but do you know about the little Roman nest chapel behind the Egyptian, right? you know, hall that everybody knows about? Or, do you, you know, so you're kind of, even when people, like I'll stop and spend a half hour with somebody in the gallery or when I should yeah. be working, but, you know, um, that's how, you know, that's how things happen. Yeah, and it's funny, yesterday, Matt, my, our office manager, you know, he came in and he goes, hey, I did, I did some manual marketing yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> So one of my neighbors lost their dog, and I took it back to them, and then we started talking. And they were like, well, we, what do you do? I'm an working architecture firm. We need to do an addition on our house. And <laughs> there's there so many go. projects yeah. that just come about like that, of just talking to, you know, putting yourself out in places where you can talk to people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. I'm it's sure you like, have those same experiences. Yeah, it's like I can't, I just can't work in an office because I have so much 
benefit from working out in the community. Yeah. And it's like for a while I was at WeWork and that was just, that was a great experience because you sit out there like in this, you know, big collaborative working pl- workplace and there's people in all different industries and, you know, you just strike up conversation with people and it's really just, and it seems like I'm not at WeWork anymore, but I will be at different coffee shops or that. work out at different hotels. And um, it's amazing the people that you meet and it's just like, it's really will lead to that collaboration. It's huge. Yeah, one of our first, one of our, I think it might have been our first art opening. It was actually John O. Ostrander, you know, that started Oz. Mm-hmm. He recently passed away, but he and a friend, uh, Tom Fort, who's also passed away, but unfortunately, but but uh, they came to the art opening and I'm standing there in the corner sort of being the shy person that I used to be. And, and Tom was like, so what do you do? I said, oh, this is our gallery and this is my architecture mm-hmm. office. And uh Really, you're an architect? I said, yeah. He goes, huh, I may need an architect. What kind of architecture? Or he goes, I'm, I'm restoring a historic house in Franklin. I go, oh, we do a lot of historic buildings. I'm, I'm actually on the Heritage Foundation board in Franklin, uh-huh. you know, on the, on the historic commission in Franklin. Uh-huh. Really? You know, and, you know, so he's in, yeah. in that, what, I said, which house? He goes, oh, it's Centennial Hall. And I went, oh, I love that house. He goes, really? You know, you know so <laughs> right. that, that kind of conversation. And so he hired us to, you know, renovate Centennial Hall, which is amazing. It's that house with the red glass dome roof, you know, in Franklin, uh-huh. and, and uh, it was a pavilion in the Centennial Exposition in Centennial Park that they actually moved out there in the 1890s, they uh-huh. moved out to Franklin. And, wow, I did not yeah, know that, that's so interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's amazing how you can just, when you start talking with people, you realize you have similar passions, and then all of a sudden they want to work together, and it's, um, and I think, I'm always like, if you know, I don't end up working with someone that I talk to or there's like no reason to be bitter about it because there's always, there's probably a better person that was like a better fit. And it's, I think there's so many Mm. times that people like, I guess it's just seeing the glass half full versus the glass half empty, but there's so many times where people spend so much time chasing or like wallowing about what they, the opportunities they didn't get instead of the ones that they could have that are probably going to be better anyways. Yeah, I find so. myself lots of times saying, oh, you ought to work with so-and-so, or you should go give them a call. It'd be a better fit. Exactly, but, yeah. exactly. Um, so back to our conversations <laughs> about travel. Um, is there anywhere that you've traveled recently that inspired you, um, that you're one of, and it, where you found something that you want to bring it back to Nashville? Well, the, it's funny. I'm working on a on a data, you know, detached dwelling like two blocks from here from where we're sitting in Russell. And, and uh, so I met with her and she wanted this, she lives in this beautiful 1890-ish house and wanted to build an outbuilding to really live in and then be able to rent the front part of her house out. And, and uh, But it had to be fairly small. And she wanted to relate to the, you know, it's brick and it's got a big hip roof and she wanted to relate to that. So I, I spent some time looking at her existing house and I came back to her with a really modern interpretation of that house and created this kind of loft that looks, you know, it's pretty interesting, but the roof forms relate. So then a couple weeks ago, we went to Bentonville, Arkansas to see the uh, Crystal Bridges, the art museum, uh-huh. and, and stayed at the 21C and had an awesome meal in this church called the Preacher Sun. Okay. It's all vegan. It was amazing. Really? In Bentonville? Yeah, in Bentonville, Arkansas. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I know. I, think I posted yeah. something on Instagram that was like Ozark bagels, and I think I said, who knew? You know? I love it. <laughs> and, and, uh, but my favorite thing there was they actually moved a, a Franklin Wright house, I think, that was in danger of being destroyed in New Jersey to Bentonville, uh-huh. to Crystal Bridges, and reassembled. They took it apart 
piece by piece and then started and then reassembled there. Well, we walked up to the outside of the house and went, holy shit, that's the that's like the same idea that, you know, straight yeah. here that that basically it was a wall. And her, when I met with her, I told her about, I'm thinking about this as a fence house that like takes the fence along the alley and then opens up into the house and then you open up with a lot of windows to look at the yard. And yeah. his thing was the same thing. It was solid on two sides and the facing the garden was this big L-shaped space of windows with, and you walked inside and it was all loft space. And yeah. So it was kind of really interesting. I was talking before about you design something you think is original and you walk and you see it. Right. Like, so I was okay that he had done that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. But, but, uh, but I'm always fascinated. Just that, again, the zeitgeist or this, you know, that sort of, I talk about to friends about synchronicity a lot. I think there's sort of these, you know, I think deja vu, I guess, is inherited memory. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, I know I've read people don't believe, you know, neuro- neuroscientists don't necessarily think that, but believe that. But to me, it just sort of seems like it makes sense. Yeah. That, that uh, there are these sort of common, I guess they're primitive or, you know, things in us all that, mm-hmm. that so I've always, like, had this connection to sort of those sort of primitive instincts of, mm-hmm. um, about, about form, back to, you know, if we were just meeting like at a party, you know, thinking about form and right. space, and yeah. but I think there's like this sort of understanding that we connect to. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm sure you've walked into like really cool buildings and go, "Wow, the space it really does feel special or right. magical." Or the light. There's something about the light, even in this place where we're sitting. Yeah, the daylight's beautiful. And, yeah. Um, so I think that that idea of getting, you know, in your design work, getting is something that touches mm-hmm. that kind of core. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so that didn't really answer your question, but... No, it was, but, uh, it was good thoughts. But, you know, you sent me... I was going to, what... Was it when I was going skiing? And uh-huh. you said, you know, was it Jones Assembly? Like, oh, know. yeah. So, like, I was driving out west, and I okay. went and drove around in Oklahoma City, almost, like, got stuck in a in a flooding street in a construction zone. <laughs> like, the roads were, like, terribly marked. But anyway, I ended up at... Jones Assembly went and sat at the bar because there was like an hour and a half wait for dinner at this place. So it was like very much like Pinewood Social. I'm yeah. sure they knocked off Pinewood Social. Yeah. And, um, but um, anyway, I told the bartender, this is my fast food stop on the way out west. You know, so I got <laughs> back in my car and drove another hour and a half to a Holiday Inn Express somewhere. Right. But so doing that, you know, instead of just flying somewhere and missing everything. Yeah. I think that's really a lot of my inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, going to places like that, you know, we... My friend and client Bill Barkley drove. We drove to Chicago a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago, and we're driving. We hit, and, and then he he flew, I think, to Vegas from there. But I drove back home. Uh-huh. But on the way out, like we left eight thirty, stopped and had brunch in Louisville, cool yeah. place. And uh, and then um, we're driving. I saw the sign for Columbus, Indiana. I, said, I don't know if you've been to Columbus, but I said, yeah, it's a like really cool architectural town uh-huh. where the owner of Cummins Engines basically had architectural competitions from the fifties on. With this idea of if you could create great architecture, you could improve the lives of people in the community, uh-huh. you know, that worked in these factories. Yeah. And there's a great movie called Columbus that uh-huh. you got to watch by okay. a Japanese filmmaker. It's, it's pretty amazing. And it yeah. takes on, one part of it looks at the beauty of the city, but mm-hmm. of the buildings, but also some of it deals with has that changed anybody's life. And right. so it's pretty, pretty cool. But anyway, so we pulled off the road and went to Columbus, drove around there, you yeah. know, and, and, um, so that idea that of taking time, being able to explore, mm-hmm. you know, you were talking about your dad, parents driving you around the country. We did that yeah. with our kids. I mean, and we still like, we're going, we're going on a road trip in September or something. Yeah. And, you know, so that's just part of our lives. That you, but, um, it's, I was just thinking too, like, you know, a lot of people know me as a foodie and mm-hmm. that we've designed a lot of restaurants and 
friends will like want to, we're kind of afraid to have you for dinner. You know, we think you're, you know, like you're critical. <laughs> and it's like, man, my favorite place is Big Al's. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Like, <laughs> you know, I just love, yeah. you know, that honesty, that loving yeah. like what's real. Yeah, exactly. And you like, know, I'll go to a client's house and be like so spotless. Like I've never seen a house as spotless as that. And they'll be po- apologizing for how messy it is. And they're <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God, you should, you know, just don't even look at my front door. Right. You know? <laughs> Um, where have you traveled recently, or just in general, uh, where have you traveled that you think is the most underrated city in the U.S.? Hmm, that's hard. Um, I'd like to go to Denver. I mean, not to Denver, to Detroit. I haven't been uh-huh. there. It's and high up on my I, list. I think that'd be, like, pretty exciting. Yeah. But, uh, um, maybe Little Rock. Yeah. In terms of underrated cities. That, yeah. There's some interesting stuff going on there. I've heard that. Um... But I love, you know, I haven't been to New York in a few years, and yeah. it's like, I still love going to New York, and like, like we do, we've constantly done work up there, and so Mark and I, uh-huh. some, you know, I might go and meet with him with a client uh-huh. sometimes, you know, we've done it a couple times, and we'll like walk for four hours, you know, we'll just walk all day, oh, and, yeah. and that's the city I come back charged up from. Yeah. I mean, we just went to Chicago, and I came back, I was like, you know, we'd say like this amazing restaurant that I've always wanted to eat at, and yeah. had an amazing meal, but... I just didn't go to Nikki's, right? You know, or go to Big Al's. So yeah, like go to Big Al's. Yeah, uh, or Bastion. I mean, we have yeah. we have chefs and so things true. in the city that are as good as anywhere. Yeah. But and um, you know, but see, so there's not the energy in Chicago, or even Denver, or, you know, like there's even in Nashville. Yeah. But but none of it has energy that there is in New York. Yeah. It's, that's just like you know that's like two days of espresso or right something. <laughs> seriously <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> seriously um from a design perspective what is your so I have several categories <laughs> so your favorite hotel in the u.s from a design perspective god you're asking these see i i told you i, I told you i didn't read these because <laughs> i wanted to be yeah. spontaneous yeah. <laughs> maybe i should have done my homework huh? no no but, i was i was reading something or listening to a podcast earlier this week that was like um Instincts are good when it's like questions like these to go off of that it's like whatever comes to your mind first, that's it's the fine. answer. Yeah. <laughs> so the um you know, I've stated a few times at Oliver in Knoxville, which I uh-huh. love it. Oh, that's maybe the most underrated one of the parts of that city. Cause yeah. there's some great restaurants and great mm-hmm. old parts of the town there that, that are interesting to explore. But probably one of my favorite hotels I've stayed at is the Price Tower in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Okay. So again, you, oh, tell, yeah, you can tell from the conversation we drive out west a lot. So like Nate and I go, we've gone skiing maybe the last ten years, uh-huh. and we'll drive either St. Louis route or you know, or the Oklahoma Albuquerque route. So, and then Janice and I, like when we drove with the kids, or we we drove. I think we went and picked Anna up in L.A. and came back. And so a couple times we've stayed. I think the first time we were taking the kids on a four-corner trip when they were, you know, maybe in their early teens. Uh-huh. And we stopped in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, just to see the Price Tower. Yeah. And it was like an early morning, and we were peeking on these dirty windows. And the lady came up that apparently was the docent uh-huh. there, and it hadn't been renovated. And she said, you want to tour it? Yeah, I told her it was an architect. So she gave us this tour of this abandoned building, basically. They had a little gift shop on the first floor, but, you know... Um, Winds whipping through the glass windows, and but the next time we were there, I'd heard they converted it to renovated it to a hotel, and and it's maybe only I didn't realize this, but it's only got twenty something rooms, and and uh, so you're staying in the offices of this oil pipe fitting company yeah. that Frank Lloyd Wright designed, and he it was his only high rise I think he 
that was ever built that he designed. And oh. apparently he built, he designed it for Manhattan. And his, his son maybe went to Taliesin West as a student and uh-huh. got to know Mr. Wright and talked to his father into hiring him to do his office tower in Bartlesville, which was a flat one-story, one- and two-story city. And so all of a sudden there's a 14-story tower in the middle of the plains. Um, and so, anyway, so they, so they converted the, converted to, the, to um, the hotel. But they, so they, so he had designed it in New York, but he apparently shrunk it down. I mean, not even a copy machine, they just redrew it, but they proportionally shrunk everything down. So I was telling Megan, Nate's girlfriend, we were, I was taking them there one time on our way out to go skiing and tell you ride. And, and, uh, and there were Crested Butte, no, I can't remember anyway, didn't matter. Um, that, that, when we get there, the elevators only hold two people at a time. And, you know, she thought I was joking. Yeah. And the elevator door was open, and she screams. She goes, oh, my God, you're right. You know, <laughs> so it's this real yeah. quirky. Yeah. Thing. But then you're like, the rooms are like from here to the exit sign way over there. I mean, they're huge. Yeah. And, uh, but they're just beautiful because you're like, there's a Frank Lloyd Wright shower and a Frank Lloyd Wright. The ceilings are low, and but all the details. So it's a, it's an unexpected thing. And it's like, you know, maybe 20 miles outside of Tulsa. And then... Yeah. The next town over, we haven't done this, but I want to do it, is the Tom Mix Museum. Mm-hmm. You know, who was a cowboy movie star. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just seems, things, you know, going, yeah, you're going to stay in places where you can do that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And I know that's the beauty about having a car because definitely can't fly to those places <laughs> unless you're on a private plane. Um, and then, we, you know, one time we used to, like, take the kids to Asheville a lot because uh-huh. it was a nice, close place to go. And yeah. uh, we stayed at this, like, railway lodge that was built in the 1880s, maybe all wood for railway workers. Yeah. You know, they've been converted now as like a hotel in the rooms, the floors are squeaky and they're, you know, it's kind of noisy and yeah. you wonder if they're ghosts, but you know, so I'm, yeah, I, I love staying at like, you know, the 21C, but I like staying there just as much. Right, you know, right, so, yeah. So it's like, like the balance. Big, yeah, big owls versus <laughs> like whatever, you know, your favorite high-end restaurant yeah, is yeah. here. <laughs> um, so back to the, from a design perspective, which, so I guess favorite hotel is the one in Bartlesville. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. You know. um, restaurant. I mean, Bastion here I love. Henry yeah. Henry I love. Yeah. The gals. Um, Alinea, like, is probably the best restaurant I've ever eaten there. But yeah. we went there twice. I'd say only go once. Yeah. You know. Um, but... It's, it's pretty amazing. And, and the thing I love about it is like what we're talking about with design. It's like somebody following their passions, pushing everything as far as they possibly can push it yeah. and taking risks. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's how you stay alive is you keep taking risks. Yeah, yeah. How you, how you grow. Yeah, exactly. Life wouldn't be fun without yeah. that. <laughs> um, in your opinion, why has Nashville gained so much notoriety in the public eye? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of things. Like, Christine Kraling, I think, just talked about like Germantown became an overnight success that only took 20 years. <laughs> you know, it's sort of that true, you know, that yeah. way about Nashville. I remember Shane Dennison used to be with Natural Parks, I think that's her last name, and uh, telling me about this idea she had for Greenways. And I was like, God, who's going to use those? You know? <laughs> and, you know, so now there's 20 years later or, yeah. or so, or maybe more, there's 70 something miles, or I mean, that was five years ago. I don't know how many miles there are now of Greenways that connect Nashville. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, the obvious things are the Titan. You know, the Titans are huge, the Nashville, the show Nashville. So it's kind of like a perfect storm. I think the Goldberg brothers did an incredible job of getting mm-hmm. Nashville international press. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, we designed several of the restaurants, mm-hmm. but so we'll be sitting at Catbird Seat and 
somebody will have flown in on their private jet from St. Louis, like the first week flying in to try this restaurant they yeah. read about the New York Times. And, yeah. You know, so there's that piece. But then there's also, like, Nashville, I'm convinced, has got to have, like, the highest sort of volunteer nonprofit community mm-hmm. per capita of anywhere in the country. So yeah. there's this huge sort of sense of people giving back to their community mm-hmm. and people are engaged in all kinds of organizations here. So, you know, so I think it's, it's, it's those sort of under the radar things that actually in the collaboration I was talking about, that you, you put all that together and then you put that and you couple that with like, well, is it no income tax, right? Yeah. But yeah. That's sort of a big piece of it. Yeah. <laughs> but then you, but you couple all this with like a really diverse um, corporate and business community it's not it used to be like bibles and health you know healthcare <laughs> yeah. and now it's like you know there's so many different right. kinds of businesses and, and corporations here and, yeah. and uh you know so it's like all that and then then you have like the feeling that brooklyn's moving here every day you right know? you know and parts of la are moving here every yeah day. and so it's it's you know i don't think there's one single thing but you put all that together and then it's i guess you know i think it's you know the snowball Right. That, we're, that we're seeing. So people ask a lot, is it, were you, are you worried about a recession? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, not really, again, if that person doesn't mess everything up to where it's so horrible, you know, <laughs> that, 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 but it seems to be surviving, you know, yeah. but, but I think Nashville is uniquely positioned that for all those reasons I just explained that there's this diversity of everything here that's going to keep us rolling and not, yeah. not, you know, not tank us in, in the event of a recession. Right. Um, the thing I'm worried about most of all is, climate change yeah you know i think you know a few years ago people i mean this is 10 years ago people were talking about like healthcare issues or transportation issues or whatever you know different issues i'm going like man if we don't solve climate change none of those are going to matter right. and i think that's even more true now than ever that we've got a you know you know the stuff you're, you know the stuff on facebook watching glaciers falling is not fake news it's right. real and to see billions of pounds of ice melting into the ocean really scary yeah and and i I don't know if things we can i don't know if we can do anything i think i mean personally we may be too late right i'm I'm really worried and so anyway and so then you know so being an architect and being you know commercial realtors those are pretty optimistic professions like you know given that the world could be ending you know we're still continuing to do things that we think can make the world a better place and make it more interesting and but also in our work trying to do things that are more sustainable yeah. how can you conserve energy and conserve resources and be light on the planet and create equitable communities right and so i think we all keep trying yeah you know? i know life's too short not to yeah. so. um sorry to be dibby we've had some more positive parts of the conversation um well i guess going on the the, the pessimistic side but what is nashville lacking do you think? You know, I think, um, again, I've had this theory for 30 years, and I think it's still true. I think Nashville is a series of parallel communities. Mm-hmm. What's that, like the t- Twilight Zone? <laughs> but, uh, and I think it's organized along the arterial roads in Nashville. So I think there's a black community organized along mm-hmm. arterial roads. There's a white community or different kinds of white communities. There's a Hispanic community and now ethnic, much more immigrant community. You know, along Millensville Road, Gallatin Pike, you can just take any of these arterials. And then on a Saturday night, they're all sort of having this very similar social functions and social worlds going on mm-hmm. in their in parallel lanes. Right. 
So what I think Nashville's lacking is that mixing mm-hmm. together and that bringing together of those worlds that yeah. I still think we're way too separate. And it blows me away when I walk into a restaurant and go, God, it's all white people here. Yeah. Or God's, you know, and I've, I've, I've talked to some black friends and it's like, they go, well, how many black waiters are there? How many Hispanic waiters are there? You know, that you tend to go to somewhere that there are people like you working. So right. I've talked to friends in the hospitality industry, like you need to be really working on hiring a bigger, diverse group of waiters and caregivers or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever field it is. So I think that's one of the biggest things that we need to bring that sort of um, cross-culturalism together in mm-hmm. every part of society, you know, that, that it's not just times we come together and other times we're separate. It'd be nice to have, at the same time, I think it's, you know, I think it's incredibly important for people to keep their cultural identities and not become all the same. That'd be a horrible. Right. But, but, uh, but I think we need to, you know, I'm worried about, you know, with education, that it's, a lot of schools are reinforcing that kind of separation. And, again, we need to be bringing things together. Yeah. No, it's – sometimes I think it's easy to get in a silo and not realize it. And then when I travel, you know, in New York or L.A. or something, you realize – Atlanta, even. Yeah, yeah, Atlanta. <laughs> I know. It's so refreshing to, like, be able – you can get, like – real ethnic food in various parts of town. Yeah. It's not just all condensed in one. And, and people it's not appreciate all white people it. Exactly. In a restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you realize and you're like, wow, Nashville is and it's like it's not even that it's just homogenous. It's just segregated. Yeah. Because I know that I've heard the statistic that the Nolans the whatever the zip code is that Nolansville Road is in has more languages spoken there than any other zip code in the entire country. Which is crazy, but it's everyone, you know, all the immigrants that come here only are told to go to this one neighborhood and instead of dispersing throughout the city. And, um, and I mean, I guess on the one sort of historical, I mean, you know, you can look at the way cities evolve and it tends to, you know, somebody goes where there are people they know, right? you know, but, um, have you done the Turk food I have thing. not, but so I want Labor to. Day, right? Oh, it's like, okay. Yeah. It's over Labor Day. I would yeah. love to it's do Labor that. Day yeah. Every year, and so they, you know, it's like thousand people or more now go and go to all these ethnic yeah. restaurants and food trucks and do a food tour, and it's pretty incredible. Yeah, so we did it last year. I'm not doing it this year, but I'll do it again. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to plan. I feel like I'm always out of town, but I'll have to plan to be in town one one year. But it's a great way. That. Those things like that are a great way to meet people you're never gonna. Right. You know. Yeah, it's now living in Wedgwood, Houston and being closer to that. Uh-huh. Uh, my husband and one of our friends have been, every Tuesday night they go to a new Mexican restaurant. Oh, awesome. And I'm like, you guys need better be documenting this because this is going to be valuable information that yeah, you can really, provide a guide. It is, it, it is. It's like the, this guy, the food critic of the LA Times that just died. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, I know who you're talking about. I heard a great like thing on NPR one time where he was saying he does this, used to do this game where or just not really a game, but a personal challenge yeah. where he wanted to eat at every restaurant on Pico Boulevard, mm-hmm. every you know ethnic restaurant. So he would start out, and then if one closed, he had to go, had back, to go and back go back to the whoever took its place. And right. So it's sort of like restaurant infinity. Yes. So friend Jimmy Poopo Walker and I, a couple years ago, we tried yeah. to do that on Nolensville no Road. Yeah. We both got too busy, but we need to get back. Get to back. That. Yeah. No, I would be a fan of that. <laughs> yeah. um, what is one thing that people would be surprised to know about you? Huh. What do you think? Not I don't a hard know. Question. <laughs> well, that'll fly. I don't know. <laughs> um, God, that I love big owls. That, and I love to garden. Um, oh, I know what it is. 
that people haven't seen me in years is that my new passion's golf. Oh, wow, yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I wouldn't expect that. That's, That's like awesome. my favorite thing I've sport I've ever done. Like I played <laughs> played basketball like six years ago now with Matt Welcher and some of his buddies. Uh-huh. That we were all thirty at the time. And, <laughs> I didn't get hurt or anything, but I just walked off the court and I was like, okay, I have to accept I'm too old to do this. And I pulled my group on it, gotten a few months earlier out and called and scheduled my a lesson and then I loved it. There you go. You know. So I went and visited like Nate's birthday was yesterday. Uh-huh. Went down to the farm, our farm last night, got up at six o'clock in the morning for an eight forty five meeting here, stopped and pl- practiced golf for an hour on the way home. Went to my meeting. That's awesome. <laughs> you there know, you go. or I'm yeah, I keep my clubs in my car, so if I'm going to a meeting downtown, I've got an hour, I'll run over to the Vinny in East Nashville with a 54 wedge and a, <laughs> and a putter and just go walk nine holes real quick in, in yeah. 45 minutes, you know. And yeah. So I would say that's probably the thing that... <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, it was like Kim Hawkins and Jess, the day I walked in, they were they were having to be together maybe at the gallery or something, and I walked in with some plaid shorts on, and they're going, oh, God, we have to, we have to do an intervention. <laughs> That's hilarious. What happened to the man I married? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, what would you say, and I feel like I probably know the answer that it's going to be, ever, it's all different, but <clears throat> what it, would a day in your life look like? They're all different. <laughs> yeah. The, um, yeah, I broke, I don't know if you knew me, I don't think we had met when I broke my knee. That, that was before we met. Yeah. yeah. So like two years ago, I broke my knee skiing. Uh-huh. And that was really interesting because I... Love skiing, and I mm-hmm. love that I've done that with Nate every year for ten years, and yeah. it, you know. And so all of a sudden, it's like I can't, you know, do what I used to doing. And so we yeah. we uh, we actually I just like the surgeon wanted me to stay for an extra week so she could look at me, check mm-hmm. on me. And meanwhile, so Nate and I got were able to stay, and, and um, we'd driven out in a Subaru, and we're trying to figure out how to get back home. And he's like, we were going like, well, maybe I can lay in the back seat. Should I go yeah. into all the stuff? We'll go lay in the back yeah. seat. And, go for it. And uh. So he goes out the day before we're supposed to leave, and he goes, Dad, if you do that, you'll kick. And we had, we're in an accident, you're, you're dead. You know, there's, the seatbelt won't protect you. And so I came up with this idea, like, maybe we could just take your front seat out, and I could sit in the back. And he went to the garage and got the front seat taken out. And so I had my leg propped up the whole time. Yeah. On the, the way home, it was great. And then, But then the garage wouldn't send him back the seat for, it took like two months and threats of getting a lawyer involved before they finally sent back the chair. So Megan kind of got used to being shoved around all over town yeah. in the back seat. But, <laughs> but, um, with the breaking of my leg is then I started, you know, doing physical therapy. So every morning I would get up and do my physical therapy exercises. And we have a little small pool in our backyard. It's like nine feet by 22 feet. So I'd go out there and do all my exercises in the water. Uh-huh. And that's really changed my life in terms of, which is all getting back to your question. Yeah. I haven't forgotten it. It's, it's, uh, you know, that I do taking time in the morning and doing my exercises and getting outside and not just having to rush to work first thing and having a good breakfast and, mm-hmm. Um, so I try to take a little more time like that in the morning before I start the day. Even like like yesterday, I had two days of a sh- of, sh- of design charrettes, mm-hmm. and I got up yesterday morning. And Nate, when I was in the hospital, mm-hmm. right after surgery, was like, "Dad, you should try Headspace, which is a you know like the a meditation app." app. Yeah. And so I you know I did it a lot then for the first mm-hmm. probably six months or a year, and then doing it much less. But like yesterday, I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna do Headspace this morning." Yeah. You know, so I did that, and and um. I get my massages like every couple of weeks, maybe, which is really nice. Weaving in of a chance to relax, and right. and uh, so there they said, "Hey, we're going to start this course for men on like back strength and you know flexibility." And I was like, "That sounds good. I'll do that." And but I can't start for like two weeks, and 
So the next week I was getting a massage and I hear the women at the front desk talking and they're going, man, the guys really like, like it. If they had known it was yoga, none of them would have come. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so, so I put something in my calendar on my phone that says not yoga. <laughs> so I did like them the next six weeks. Yeah. And then she had a pause and we're starting it up. Mm-hmm. I can't go this week, but I'll go in, you know, in two weeks. And, yeah. uh, but I'm really looking forward to that, just that idea of taking time. Yeah. So that's like 9.30 on Tuesday morning, so I'll do that for an hour. Um, And then, you know, so by then I'm like at the office going through emails. Like, you know, it's like, was it Sisyphus or whatever that could never get up the top of the mountain? Oh, yeah. It's like, I feel that way about emails. Yeah. I can never, you know, like every winter break, I'm in the office for five days just cleaning out. Cleaning them out. You know, I can pretty much do it at that time of year, just get through them. But that's, now they're all piled up again, you know. Yeah. so I'm constantly doing that. Then I'll, you know, I love to eat, so I'll probably go somewhere for lunch. And yeah. Like yesterday, we went to Parsons. Uh-huh. Have you been there yet? Yeah. Yeah. It was. I really like it. It's it's cool there. Yeah. So they, this is about the environment, job. and yeah, mm-hmm. and they've got a nice diverse group of people working there too, which I think is great. And and as a result, I think the people eating there, you know, it's, it's yeah. really encouraging. And, and um, but then you know, then I'll come back and like probably have a couple of meetings or you know, walk around the office and talk to people about what they're doing and, you know, and and for a while I had a nice sort of balance where I was able to be in this money golf series and play in different places around the mid-state and mm-hmm. but I've canceled that for the next six weeks because we're so busy. It's yeah. just like I cannot take the time to do that. You right. know, and, and, um, but then like, and then Janice, my wife, you know, mm-hmm. is the head of the elephant sanctuary so she spends the week down there and stays at our farm mm-hmm. during the week so, I've gotten her finally to take our dog Zelda with her, which I miss her, but it's nice not having to be a single parent. Right. <laughs> so I was coming home every afternoon at three thirty. Yeah. You know, taking her for a walk and feeding her, which is great. But now I can just stay at the office, go do this, you know, go go straight to the golf course at six o'clock and not have to go home first and right. or come back to the office and work till ten or eleven. You know, so it's yeah. just it, um which gets back to that idea you were talking about of work life balance. Like yeah. it's, I haven't I haven't done that in a while, but I will be doing that. I'm sure a lot more, like, immediately. But, but, but like, I'll go in, and then Mark will show up about 9.30, and mm-hmm. he spent time with his kids, and then now they're kind of going to bed, or now they're older, so they're not necessarily going to bed. But right. but he'd come back and work from, like, 9.30 to 2 in the morning. So, yeah. you know, again, that, that we're all sort of having that way of life. It's, yeah. It's really nice. Um, so it's sort of, you know, it's sort of, on the one hand, it's different, but on the other hand, it just sort of flows like that. Yeah. It, it, it um... But we're like, again, because we're so busy, I just like the last couple of days, I've like taken my calendar for the next three months and gone through and like written out every day. Like these are the times I have available. And we just sat down with, you know, Bill a little while ago and said, okay, I've got, how's your calendar look on these days? And now we're going to plan out our meeting times. And, right. And we're doing that on multiple projects just to make sure, you know, how do we fit it all in? So I'm having to be scheduled. Yeah. I think that's another surprise. You know, I think, I think people would be surprised about is like, because, you know, I probably come across pretty loose and laid back. And in fact, I had a, one of the few people I've ever fired was an architect who mistook our sort of casualness for mm-hmm. lack of need for attention to detail. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and it came across in his work and that wasn't acceptable. So it's like, yeah, we're really loose and we have a great time, but there's a real seriousness about the quality of what we do and the way it's detailed and how buildings work and that clients can afford to build them. And 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 back to that thing I said about taking treating it like it was our own, like right. we're all very concerned about budget. And yeah. Somehow we get like extremely creative projects to do with very tight budgets. Like mm-hmm. give me a huge budget sometime. But, yeah. But um, I'm sure you don't care if you're doing like a really boring 
you know, office lease or a really cool as shit restaurant. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's really fun to do them both. Yeah. It's really, you know, because you're giving it the same sort of professionalism, attention to detail, care for the client. Yeah. You know, so, and I think that's, I know that like everybody in our office is like that, that, mm-hmm. that it's just fun doing what we're doing. And right. so some things can be more mundane and, you know, some things can be really exciting, but we, but we get just as excited about working on those details and solving a distribution center's problems as we do how to make a restaurant kitchen look really cool. Right, you know, right. It's, still, it's, the, it's that idea of solving somebody's problems mm-hmm. that's, you know, how do you, you, which is getting exactly what you do. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how do you make this happen for somebody? Yep, yeah. yeah. No, that's one of the most fun parts of it is when people think it's a no, tell, showing them that it's a yes. It's just a different way to get to yes. That's a great. That's <laughs> good. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm, we designed Abe's Garden, you know, which is a best practices model for Alzheimer's care. And, uh-huh. Which may be another surprise that like, people don't think of us as healthcare architects, but we've done a couple like sort of groundbreaking out of the box. How do you move the healthcare industry forward? Okay. And so this this model for Alzheimer's care. But I've you know one of the things I say a lot about it is a lot of it is turning no's into yeses because mm-hmm. you know yeah. I read like these books by a designer that had done several facilities and wrote some books about it and and we even met with her and she's going you can't do this you can't do that you can't do that why why, why not right. You know, I remember people going, oh, condos will never work in Nashville. You can't sell condos in Nashville. We did some in an alley 30 years ago, and they sold right away. Right. You know, it's like, so it's like that idea of turning no's into yeses. Mm-hmm. Is, there's nothing more fun than that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so last but not least, do you have any advice that you would give to listeners who want to make a career out of their passions? That's the advice. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah, follow your passion. You know, it's like, I remember a friend couple years younger than me that that um she wanted to be a doctor mm-hmm. i remember talking to her i think she became a doctor mm-hmm. but i had a conversation like at that time i felt like she wanted to become a doctor because her dad was a doctor mm-hmm. and she thought that's what she was supposed to do and i was like you have to be passionate about this if you're not passionate about it you're going to be miserable you're going to be doing opiates in the future how do yeah. i know that i don't know but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know that that uh you just have whatever it is. You just have to be passionate about it, yeah. and you have to stay open. Um, I mentioned my one of my favorite teachers. I remember the like our first conference. He talked to me the one about the, being a turtle. He was talking to me about like you know you need to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You need to be open to things. We read, he had us read this great book called the Theater. I forget what it's called. It was by Peter Brook. And it was three kinds of theater, like the theater of the absurd, maybe the theater of, of risk. Or anyway, it was about, but the one about the risk, that this mm-hmm. idea that life flourishes when you take risks mm-hmm. and you, you, your creativity grows when you take risks. So right. it's all tied into following your passions. Yeah. So I think as long as you do that, done, you know, I don't care what you do, yeah. it'll be a great life and, and enjoyable and, and giving up to others. You know, yeah. I think that's, that, uh, but if you don't follow your passion, change what you're doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, just because, you went and got this degree and yeah. think you're on this career path and think this is what you're supposed to do. And if you ask yourself, is this really me or is this what I care about or is there something I'd rather be doing, do it. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, I had a friend, a guy that used to work for me, an architect was in St. Louis, and he was all worried. His son was in, like, a heavy metal band as a junior in high school, mm-hmm. and he's, like, calling me up and going, you know, his sister, like, you know, I think she went to Princeton and was, like, scholarship and superstar, and, you know, and, and he's worried about his son you know being in a heavy metal band and maybe not going wanting to go to college is like you know man it's okay it's yeah. 2008 
You know, 2010, you know, look, the world's falling apart. Yeah. What do you care if he goes to college for? Is, is he happy? Right. Yeah, he's happy. Well, if he's happy, support what he's doing. Yeah. So now he went to college. He's a poet. He just had his first book of poetry published as a senior project in That's college. Awesome. And he's, like, yeah. just flourishing, you know, yeah. and it's like... Yeah. You know, letting him follow his passion. And it's, it's so much fun to see that. that yeah. No, I think uh, it's, everybody is on their own time frame and their own timeline and realizes things at different times. And I think sometimes, especially you see like parents just trying to control the situation uh, too much. And that's not a sustainable approach because it's got to be a choice, like an internal and personal choice. Yeah. yeah. Kids went to a Ventura Montessori school and uh-huh. that actually literally that's Latin for from within. Uh-huh. Okay. And the whole idea cool. of that educational program mm-hmm. supports each child's own interest rather than mm-hmm. forcing something on them. Right. You know, we're, we're, I guess we're wrapping up. So just made me think of my, uh, there's a writer I used to love. I'm sure he's like, nobody probably even reads him anymore. Tom Robbins. Mm-hmm. But one of his great quotes was, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's a good one to end on. Well, thank you so much for taking time to out of your Friday evening uh-huh. to come on new in Nashville. And I'm excited to continue more of these conversations, um, even offline in the future. Yeah, and I'm excited because now that I've found that you do the podcasts, you know, I was talking about exercising and yeah. doing things in the morning. So I, like, I need to get back to my cross trainer, you know. But I figured out, hey, I don't have to look at TV. I yeah. can actually, <laughs> I figured out how to like listen to a podcast. So I've been listening to Amy Mann's podcast on on our creativity and okay and process. I think it's yeah. process and it's great. But uh-huh. Amy Mann's history, you know. Now I'm listening to Eamon, Elon Freeman's What's New Nashville. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, some people have uh, kind of come to me and been like, new in Nashville. They're like, you're you're old Nashville. You're not new in Nashville. And I'm like, well, it's a loosely defined. It's uh, new projects in Nashville, new businesses yeah. in Nashville, sometimes new people in Nashville, but, you know. Yeah, like Libby Calloway, you're next week. I'm listening to you Yeah, next week. <laughs> great. Well, I appreciate you listening and appreciate you coming on. Okay, see you soon. Please reach out to share your experiences with us by emailing newinnashvillepodcast at gmail.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list and access our social media at www.newinnashvillepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, please review and subscribe on iTunes and refer our podcast to a friend today. Thank you to Jared Anderson of Evergreen Productions for producing and engineering our podcast. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. The music in this episode is provided by Carrie Ann Larson. She is a singer-songwriter who strives to write songs that people hear their own stories in. You can find her music, including her latest single, Fairweather Friend, on all digital platforms.